to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we have watched the games. You have scraped the data. We have the analytics. It's time to find some truths in all the gray area that is the football bubble. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Uh, I did not like that they immediately shot down Eric Bieniemy to USC on Monday Night Football. I was just sitting there just trying to enjoy myself and immediately just catching strays. So that was not 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 too fun. Just a little peek behind the curtain on the process. I actually went back to review the intro of last week just to see how like I opened the show. And you mentioning Eric Bieniemy feels like a month ago. It was yeah. only uh, it was only a week ago. But this show, it's one of my favorites of the week. We really do want to try to figure out what is real, what is not. A lot of these players that exploded in week two that have disappointed us through, you know, a couple NFL games that you drafted highly. We think there's a lot of valuable information out there in their usage, in their alignments and how many touches they're getting and and where they're lining up, all that good stuff. Um, And it's also things that you can't see unless you watch the games as well. So we're trying to give you, you know, all the actionable information from both sides so you can hopefully make the best decisions for your lineup, for whatever else, just for entertainment moving forward as well. Hayden, let's put the league in perspective. And we do that by checking out your fantasy usage model, which is up on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Again, on this show, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Big picture stuff on the whole teams, and then we zoom in to the players as well. Let's just go down the list, Hayden. Let's go to the number three player here in Jonathan Taylor. 39 touches through two weeks. He, what, has the running back three usage right now? Correct. But overall, running back 25 in half-point PPR. If you just check his usage, you would expect him to score at 19.5 half-PPR points. And the reason why that happened is he got stuffed at the goal line three times. And I don't think it was really his fault. Uh, There's obviously the Colts are dealing with plenty of offensive line injuries right now. And I don't think they they, they kind of rushed back their left tackle to me at least. And it did not seem like he was ready. And the right tackle was out. Uh, Quinton Nelson, everyone else is just playing through some injuries. So it was not a good situation for Jonathan Taylor. But he has the same usage that he had late last year. Have you even heard Marlon Mack's name brought up this season yet? No, it's just them. Naeem Hines is still way too good to take off of passing downs, but Jonathan Taylor's still getting 20 carries plus the goal line, plus a couple uh, schemed up screens. So um, I wouldn't worry about Jonathan Taylor too much. Multiple things. I, I think there's a lot of freaking out right now because as we mentioned, he was selected around the end of the first round and he is outside of the top 24 scores, at least on what underdog uses. Uh, but Hayden, lest we forget, this wasn't a player who dominated his entire rookie season. It took a while to get there. And, you know, this path could have gone kind of in two different directions as we sit here with the Indianapolis Colts, who have a new quarterback who does not look great early in the season and have more offensive line injuries early on this season than they did in the entirety of last season as well. When I do go back and watch Jonathan Taylor, I always think so far through two games that he looks better in the first quarter than he is in like the fourth quarter right now. And I'm not sure if that's questions about the entire offense at the moment, but you mentioned it, getting stuff three consecutive times at the one-yard line. Hey, he's getting those opportunities. We know almost certainly he's going to make good, and there's going to be some positive regression on those opportunities. But there was another one that got called back after he was stuffed as well due to a penalty. So it's just not hitting hot at the moment. Like last season, there's probably going to be a six, seven, eight, 
10-week sample of him hitting hot because he is that talented. But right now in this tiny little grouping that we have, it's it's ice cold. It's ice cold. He's just running bad. This is just a two-week sample in the NFL, and especially when you're dealing with a touchdown-dependent player because that's what Jonathan Taylor is because he does not have the passing down work. You're going to run bad for a little bit. But then all of a sudden next week, he could have three rushing touchdowns, and then we're like looking at this like we're crazy. So I think he's going to be right around RB8 to RB10, somewhere right in there for the rest of the season. We're going to talk about this more on Thursday's preview show. By the way, like and subscribe down below so you're here for that game-by-game game preview. Um, but I'm very skeptical of the Colts right now. I mean, the week-to-week consistency just isn't there. As we've talked about injuries at offensive line and quarterback, they were down 21-10 to in game one at halftime in the third quarter of this past weekend, 17-6. to so the best John Taylor is going to be there when it's neutral and positive and especially positive. And we just haven't gotten positive game script out of the Colts as of yet. Uh, let's keep going. Let's jump down to a major topic of conversation in week two, Mike Davis versus Cordero Patterson. We look at Mike Davis, the running back 10 in fantasy usage Hayden so far that has equaled the running back 31 in fantasy points. It's been very bad for Mike Davis. A lot of his or most of his production is coming after contact. The offensive line for the Falcons looks really bad. And the offense in general, especially with Matt Ryan right now, is not playing well at all. Obviously, the big news was Cordero Patterson and his touchdowns and his usage in general. The good news, though, is I think both Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson could both be options for the Falcons. Mike Davis, even last week, uh, 69% snaps, 64% of the routes. He's RB10 in usage. I think it's going to be Cordell Patterson basically as like a weapon. Obviously, some mm-hmm. of those snaps are going to come in the backfield. That's not great for Mike Davis. But if you look at last year's stats and then this year's stats, a lot of Cordell Patterson's usage is coming from the slot as like a tight end, as a wildcat. It's not like a direct running back role. So I, I wouldn't completely panic for Mike Davis. I love this conversation about this backfield because I think a lot of different angles can be correct and it's trying to predict the unpredictable as we move forward. I think right now the information that we have, the Atlanta Falcons offense as a whole is worse than we expected. Yes, And I think that's like the foundation of where this is going wrong at the moment because Hayden, if we got what we thought and like the Atlanta Falcons being potentially a top 10 and at worst, maybe a top half of the league offense running back 10 usage in, in that system would have been great. But instead what we're getting is a defense that can't stop anyone and an offense that is, you know, in constant negative game script and an offensive line that can't block anyone and like can't play bully ball. And while you and I love Mike Davis, because he can catch passes, he can create yards on his own. He can break tackles. A lot of those red zone goal to go opportunities you have to be at least somewhat of a bully along the offensive line to convert those. I mean, look, we just talked about the Colts and Jonathan Taylor. And what I'm scared of is Arthur Smith realizing, hey, our offensive line sucks, and so we can't bully anyone in short-yarded situations. So even though Mike Davis, to me, Hayden, is not doing anything wrong, like he truly has not put a, a foot in the wrong direction so far. I think he's doing everything they've asked of him. I think there's a realistic possibility where Arthur Smith says, okay, if we can't power through anyone near the goal line in the red zone, we're going to try to be more skilled than them. We're going to try to be faster than them. And maybe that's part of the reason why last week Cordero Patterson got four of the team's nine opportunities in the red zone. 
Yes, I also just think that there's like a wild wildcat play. There was just some weirdness going on in general, and then also we have to talk about just the opponents when you're playing the Bucks, who just notoriously it's always pass first against the Bucks. The last two years completely back that up, and the Eagles front seven is really dominant right now too. They're kicking ass uh, the last two weeks in the trenches as well. So it was just a really bad opening schedule for the Falcons. The Falcons looked really bad. I think like the numbers you're pulling up, Cordell Patterson's going to come in, but he's going to come in in the slot. He's going to play a little bit tight end. He's going to be an out wide player. He's going to come in, steal a couple of Mike Davis's snaps, but 69% of the snaps, as long as the Falcons are like the the 18th best offense in the league, I still think you can get RB2 uh, production from him. He's still, even with all this bad stuff, he's the RB31. I know that's not great, but this isn't like the worst case scenario. I think that Cordell Patterson, I'm going to be viewing him as a weapon until I see like straight up the middle carries from Cordell Patterson. I think you and I are saying the exact same thing. I know my picture's a little fuzzy right now. Um, That no matter what, Mike Davis is the lead back. Like Cordell Patterson isn't just going to emerge as like this team's number one running back and then just all of a sudden be a weekly top 12 running back. And I think a lot of people are kind of imparting that role onto him a little bit because they get excited for this. When you see two touchdowns, when you see a player who has a a wide receiver background, that that maybe that's believed that's in the range of outcomes. I would be shocked if Mike Davis just is not the traditional running back moving forward because, again, he is creating invisible yards. He's doing all the tough stuff. But – what I'm getting to is also like, and it's not exactly the same. Remember the Patriots last season when they weren't able to create anything, how they had to manufacture touches. I feel like maybe in certain areas, Arthur Smith is already having to say, okay, we have to manufacture plays. And that's probably more dynamic with Cordero Patterson than it is Mike Davis. But if you like are already trying to start Mike Davis and excuse me, Cordero Patterson in your lineup, then you're living by the high variance nature of it on somebody who's going to play fewer snaps on fewer touches and you're banking on a big play. And that's not what I want to do in this Falcons team. I would let your league mates pick up Cordell Patterson and waste their, their fab dollars. I would be way more concerned if this was Wayne Gallman stealing Mike Davis's snaps, Cordell Patterson. If you just watch the game, watch him try to run up the middle and his vision just does not have it. He's still a kick returner. And that's why they give him pitches and screens and the wildcat because he does not have the timing, the nuance of playing NFL running back yet. So until it's like Wayne Gallman eating Mike Davis' snaps or Mike Davis is like completely anemic, I think that he's still on that like RB2-3 border. Yeah, we'll talk about this a lot more in our preview show again on on Thursday, especially against the Giants defense that I think is a little bit underrated in terms of their defensive front players. But maybe you and I are going to go down with the Titanic, but Mike Davis <laughs> looks good. Like he looks good. We just need that team looks fine. to play better as a whole. Okay. Let's jump to Leonard Fournette. What a transition. Leonard Fournette has 56% of the team's carries. Ronald Jones, 28% of the team's carries. But Hayden, we may, for once, finally have hit the end of the road here with the Ronald Jones experiment in Tampa Bay. He looks awful. Giovanni Bernard also looks awful. They're barely playing Giovanni Bernard, and that's pretty surprising because Leonard Fournette also looks pretty bad. But I think he looks the best out of all of them. And he's already up to RB14 fantasy usage. It's one of the best offenses in the league. If Rojo's clearly going to be a distant number two, I think that this Bucks offense has enough points in them to have Fournette be an RB3 uh, moving forward. So 
Um, I think that he should be rostered everywhere. I think that eventually you're going to hate it, but I think eventually people are going to be starting Leonard Fournette, and I think it's going to happen within the next couple weeks. This offense is one of the five best in the NFL. That's good. We want a running back associated to that. And I think part of the reason why, you know, where Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette were going in drafts is one, their individual talents. For some reason, people still believe in Ronald Jones's talent. The NFL somewhat believes in, in Leonard Fournette's talent because of, you know, that high draft capital. I would say both are below adequate players. However, we have also seen Leonard Fournette complete his job, complete his responsibilities, not fall flat in his face, not miss pass protection on third down that gets your quarterback absolutely crushed. And what we know now is Tom Brady just has complete control of this offense. And so, Hayden, I'm with you that Leonard Fournette is going to definitely have usable weeks because he will probably be the premier running back on this team. That is a great offense. But I think at large, it's not going to matter as much as it would for a team that cares more about their running back usage because no matter what, like Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Rob Gronkowski are more important to the Bucs than whoever is at the running back position. 100%. We're going to get to it in a little bit, but all four of those uh, pass catchers that you just named, they're all top 12 in the NFL in deep routes. It's go routes, deep crossing routes. It's bombs away. It's Bruce Arians. They're very fast paced right now. They're throwing the ball at ridiculous rates. That's why we're all over Tom Brady uh, in the MVP markets. We think that the Bucks are going to shred, but you will get some Leonard Fournette four catch games with a touchdown. And I think that we should be yeah. getting ahead of that because I think it's for sure coming. The biggest thing was your note on Ronald Jones blowing that third down. Like you, you don't, you don't get Tom Brady killed at age 44 and keep, keep playing. So at least Fournette's not doing that. Let's jump down to Saquon Barkley, Aiden, a player who's going at the end of round one. I believe he has running back 19 usage, running back 45 overall fantasy points, uh, 23 carries for 83 yards, including a long run of 41, three receptions, 13 yards, Hayden, we knew early on that Saquon Barkley wasn't going to come in and immediately get 20 touches. It was going to be around 10. It was going to be around 12, going to be around 15. But what I picked up through two games as well with Saquon Barkley is this offense is very reminiscent just from an efficiency and success standpoint of the ones early on in his career where he's going to get stuffed because of his offensive line for one, two, three, negative two-yard gains over and over, and he has to break off a massive run in order to get production. And coming back from a massive injury, that is dangerous territory. We're already treading in here with Saquon Barkley. If Saquon Barkley wasn't Saquon Barkley, nobody would even be coming close to ranking him inside the top 10. Like It is insane that he's this good to just be ranked inside the top 10 in this offense. I will say, though, in... On short rest, on Thursday Night Football, he played 84% of the snaps. That was perfect. If you're looking for Saquon Barkley, anything, you just want him to survive this first two weeks. And the fact that his, his snaps went way up on short rest signals to me that he feels comfortable and the, the Giants feel comfortable, or they're really desperate, that he's going to be out there. And we're going to get that Saquon Barkley role starting in week three. So if you have somebody panicking uh, on the trade block with Saquon Barkley, I think this would be a good buy low. But I'm with you. It's gonna. He's gonna have to carry it because his surrounding is still really bad. Yeah, Atlanta Falcons this week in Week Three. Uh, it's it's tough because people, you know, 
drafted Saquon Barkley highly. They drafted Kenny Galladay highly. And then we're going to get to a name, the only one that has exceeded our expectations of that team in Sewing Shepard a little bit later on. Okay, let's jump now to the Dallas Cowboys backfield. Ezekiel Elliott versus Tony Pollard. And for some reason, Hayden, we've gotten to this point where our football universe wants to pit these two players together. Um, where are we at on Zeke? And I guess versus Tony Pollard, because, and like, hopefully this makes sense. I tried to write it out. I feel like this one almost transcends usage and data and almost gets to a point that it's all about narrative and team building because of the massive contract that they've given Zeke. Even if Tony Pollard outplays him in a single game or for multiple weeks, I think at worst, what we get to Hayden is a split backfield 50, 50, and neither one of these guys is going to get 70% of the volume. And if one does, to me, it's still going to be Zeke. I would be shocked if Tony Pollard's role gets much bigger than what it is now, just because they're using him in pony personnel. And that's two running backs on the same, on the field at the same time. And you don't really see, it's not like the 1940s that it's Harvard versus Brown, where you have two running backs in the backfield. No, one of them's like the jet motion guy. And that's where Tony Pollard got his goal line touchdown. Zeke is still playing running back. Tony Pollard is playing kind of this Cordell Patterson like gadget role. Now I will admit 100% as a Zeke truther, Tony Pollard is way more explosive than Zeke. Like that is not a, that's not a question. And Tony Pollard should get more touches, but I think that the Cowboys and Jerry Jones said it himself. They love Zeke because he runs between the tackles. He does all the dirty work. That's not going to like pop off on like a highlight tape. You're not going to get many Twitter likes because of this, but I still think that Tony Pollard is going to be in a lower usage role. He might be like Naeem Hines or someone like that, but Zeke who's leading the NFL in routes run at running back right now, it's still going to be out there plenty enough. So I think this was like the worst case scenario for Zeke to start the season, but it'll still be fine. Yeah. Haven't you been seeing like people claiming victory on Tony Pollard over Ezekiel Elliott? Like, I just think you're wasting energy on this. It's Tony Pollard is never going to get the role that Zeke had before. As long as Ezekiel Elliott is healthy, I would be shocked if that happens to your point though, Hayden, they are attached to an offense that is incredible. That is tremendous. Tony Pollard on shorter workload, smaller workload is way more explosive and can do more with the ball in his hands. So I think we're also at the point though, where you can easily make the case that both are running back twos moving forward, you know, that both can possibly be in your starting lineup. You're just going to get one playing much more and two, you're banking on the other being attached to a great offense and being able to do more with the ball in his hands. I think Tony Pollard's a flex, and I think that this would be some of the best games he's going to have as long as Zeke stays healthy. And I think that Zeke I'm not viewing him as like the top five running back, like for sure not just because Pollard's legitimately eating into some of the snaps, but I would be pretty surprised if he's not like a top 14, top 12 running back this season. The offense is too good and they're using like 12 personnel now, which is like directly set up for Zeke just to run up the middle. He's he, Zeke hasn't been getting the like a total amount of goal line touches. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, a weird start to the season. I don't want to overreact too much. Yeah. And, also, weird start to the season means we're not getting like dominant Cowboys in heavily positive game script or even neutral game script with a great offensive line, which were the glory days of Ezekiel Elliott, right? Yes. Like we're just not getting this bruiser who's going to get, you know, between the guards, between the tackles, runs over and over. And that's kind of this mentality what we were thinking of when we drafted him so highly. But again, he's kind of through two games, Hayden. There's so much negativity around him, not as much against Alvin Kamara, our guy, 
and they're basically identical in terms of their fantasy output this season. So stay a little patient on Ezekiel Elliott. I think like drops stick out in our head, seeing someone like Tony Pollard come into the game overshadows like what Zeke is still doing on like a series to series basis. He yes. has such a critical role. Again, all those passing plays that Dak was getting off in week one and even week two against the Chargers, a lot of those wouldn't happen if, if Ezekiel Elliott wasn't in the ballgame. It's hard From to run from the perspective. Yeah, it's hard to run up the middle against Vita Vea without Zach Martin in week one. And then he played on the road against the Chargers. So, yeah. All right. Three more running back names. Antonio Gibson up first. 33 carries for 159 yards through two games. Five receptions for 22 yards. I guess those five receptions are mainly the talking point here, Hayden, for a second round pick in fantasy drafts this summer. Someone with a receiving background. We are not seeing, seeing those skills you know, translate to the field just yet with usage. Yeah, it's just J.D. McKissick still around on third downs, and that's not gonna. I don't think that's gonna change because, like, it's kind of like the Naeem Hines, Jonathan Taylor thing, where J.D. McKissick is too good at that role, and Antonio Gibson's still learning the position enough where they only want to get him in one area. So you're getting more targets in general for Antonio Gibson. You're getting more routes, even, and that's great. I think that he can still be a high end uh, RB two, but I don't think that J.D. McKissick is going anywhere. And after two weeks of him playing the two minute drills. And that's where twenty percent of running back targets go to. It's just hard for Antonio Gibson to be have a like top ten outcome. So I think ultimately like, that round two three border was probably worth the risk. But I think that you need to like rescale your um, expectations with Antonio Gibson. Let's talk about Taylor Heineke too, Hayden, because a major change in this backfield happened last year when they shifted over to Alex Smith because J.D. McKissick was attached to his hip, and that's where so much of the receiving upside came from. One, I don't think believing that J.D. McKissick was just going to drift away because Antonio Gibson has his skills, that was never a good mentality because J.D. McKissick is legit good at his role. Like, he's legit talented in that area of the field. But look at what Taylor Heineke brings to the table versus what Alex Smith brought to the table. Alex Smith, who was checking down, throwing everything within 10 yards. Taylor Heineke is a gamer. You know, he he's a player who wants to create the bigger throws down the field. Go and scan on next-gen stats the rest of the passing charts, and you're going to see very few that attack every level of the field like this. What I'm trying to say is, Hayden, maybe neither are really going to get those checkdowns as long as Taylor Heineke is in the ballgame, unless something changes and that Scott Turner reels him in, because Taylor wants to make these throws down the field. So I think that that's another added element to this, that while we get a backup quarterback, while that might change other offenses, I don't think it's really going to change Washington's. We talk about Lamar doesn't throw the check down or underneath passes to running backs, like the same thing. Like Heineke not only wants to throw it deep, but he always wants to scramble too. So yep. uh, I think that's a totally fair point. Yeah, you were not never going to start J.D. McKissick this year. Like there's just no way that you were starting McKissick. If you were starting McKissick, your team was screwed. And we were just hoping that Gibson would get like five targets per game. I don't think we're going to get that. All right, let's go to... A talking point in the chat from Dustin, from Mr. Scampers, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Hayden, running back 41 overall in fantasy, running back 32 in fantasy usage, a player who now rightfully was being drafted as the 14th running back among the 14 that were going basically in the top 26, 27 overall selections. Clyde Edwards-Helaire, this is an offense that picks up 11 yards when they throw, three yards when they run. He's not getting targets. 
When he's running the ball, he's not creating anything. Where are we at in CEH? Can it get any worse? Can it only get better? The Chiefs know his cheeks, man. Like they're not using their running backs at all right now in expected fantasy points, just the running back position by team. The Chiefs are dead last. And they're like getting goal line opportunities and all that stuff. They're just like not getting the ball to CEH. And to me, I don't know if this was that, that ankle sprain that was coming in right before the season or if it's just Clyde Edwards Hilaire just not being explosive, but he looks slow, like really slow. And like, I know running backs don't matter, but when you're that slow, it is bad. And this is really bad news because they just like revamped the offensive line. And there's like completely not even trying to run the ball or get him out in space or anything. And that's pretty bad because they're trying to get the ball to like Nicole Harmon and Demarcus Robinson and people like they're not even trying to get the CH. So out of all of the first round running backs we've just talked about, which guy am I most concerned with? It's for sure CH for me. Luckily, we're getting him as running back 14. But with the range of outcome, like, Hayden, if you told me we were getting 27 carries on a top five offense through two weeks, I, I wouldn't think this, the depths of this floor would exist, you know? And really, three running back receptions from him this season, it's shocking. It's shocking in comparison to what he did at LSU, where he was breaking records, and the type of verbiage that we got from that team as, as soon as they drafted him. There's a couple points I want to make, though, because the other side of this, while one is that he's performing very badly and this team could go, Hayden, in just the direction of where the Bucks are going of let's just eliminate all running backs and just throw the ball all the damn time because that's where they're most successful. There's also no real competition for him, like Daryl Williams, Jarek McKinnon. They didn't go out of their way at all to add another name into that backfield. So to me, that instilled confidence in him. But Hayden, we're at this point where they can't really bring in anyone else necessarily. So am I a lunatic for thinking that CH is just going to continue to be out there? But again, the efficiency and usage might not go up at all. I think he's going to be out there. I mean, I guess he can be a buy low if someone is like really panicking, but like RB2, three flex option right now. Like they're not right. giving the ball at all. They, they haven't designed a single screen for him in, in two weeks. And that's like too close game against two good defenses. And even a pretty aggressive defense against the Ravens where you think that you can throw a little backdoor screen against a blitz heavy defense and they just let him run. Like they're not using him at all. So I guess the, the bull case for CH right now would be that his ankle is really bothering him. And then in two weeks from now it's better. And then like they start using him or that he just runs really hot at goal line, but uh, he's not going to be inside my top 15 this week. Yeah. I I'm with you. It's, we're already at this point in the in the year where it's better off. You should have a lineup that CEH doesn't have to exist in it right now. And you might miss a big game that happens, but we're getting nothing from him. Again, we're getting no broken tackles. We're getting no carries of 10 plus yards. We're getting no receptions. There's no positivity here other than there's no other back on the offense. Yeah, he's dead last in uh, yards after contact. And I don't think he has he's registered a missed tackle according to Sports Info Solutions. That sucks. I mean, this sucks so much. I, That's I bad. just didn't expect this to happen. Uh, let's jump on over to a name, though, Hayden, that has shocked us in a good way. And that's Tyson Williams, a player that was the running back three entering training camp, who now we saw in week one have a massive workload in the first half, go a bit invisible in the second half. But Hayden, it felt like, you know, in a primetime game that went right back to him in a pivotal matchup against the Chiefs and that Tyson Williams should be in that running back two range because of the offense that he's attached to and because of his individual skills. 
the best way to explain this is Tyson Williams is in the J.K. Dobbins role and Latavius Murray's kind of in like the Gus Bus role, except Latavius probably is going to pass block a little more than Gus Bus was. But Tyson Williams is definitely more explosive than Latavius. Like there's no question about that. He's RB3 in fantasy points over expected, partially because he's ripping off long runs because he's super fast and because he's playing next to Lamar Jackson. Every single yeah. running back ever next to Lamar Jackson absolutely shreds in efficiency. Um, because he opens up the lane. So I think that Tyson Williams, he's RB24 in expected fantasy points right now. I think I'm going to be ranking him as an RB2. I think that he should hold on to this job as long as he doesn't fumble or miss some bad pass pro stuff. Um, I think that he has the juice that like the rest of the the practice squad guys in the Ravens don't have. Totally with you. I'm, there is no reason not to believe in Tyson Williams. If he had a different name, heck, if he had Le'Veon Bell's name, you'd be playing him each and every week. So, So think of it. In in that regard, he's outplaying Latavius Murray. It's su- it's that simple. It's that yeah. simple. Um, before we move on to wide receivers, Hayden, one like and subscribe. All of you, our whole goal, make football more fun, help you win along the way. We're having a blast doing. It, at least I am. I can't speak for Hayden, but I think he is. Let's uh, answer some chat questions as well. Siraj, what is Damian Harris's outlook? Boy, oh boy, that twenty six yard run that was beautiful. Uh, Damian Harris, as you're mentioning. And as you're alluding to running back 11 in fantasy usage, running back 17 in terms of half point PPR. The issue here, Hayden, is at most each week, we're going to get two to three targets, two to three receptions per game. The path, though, could have been there last week for him to have like an absolutely dominant week. It just felt like the Patriots reeled it back in. Because once that touchdown happened, the game was over. They knew that they had the Jets offense under control. So we need some closer contests that were also allowing them to be dominant and be bullies along the offensive line like last week, because if that's the case, you're going to get top 10, top seven weeks from Damian Harris in that regard. I think you're dead right that he is going to be an RB2 because they're just going to give him the, the ball 15 to 20 times. He's definitely game script dependent, um, but I think that he's going to score 10 touchdowns this year. And as long as the offensive line stays healthy and Mac Jones hopefully makes some improvements, he's like, Past the eye test a little bit, but like he, there's still a long ways to go. But his offense, the offense is capped. Damian Harris is himself is capped. But if you drafted him as the RB 27 in best ball, I think he's going to pay off as like the RB 18 this year in half PPR. And that, that's that, that gets you a W. And the Patriots running game could get even better with Trent Brown coming back. And yep. it's a good situation. It's, it's like a stable situation as long as he hangs on to the football that might have a cap ceiling without touchdowns touchdowns are the key here with uh, he'll get them he'll get Damien Harris and he will get them I believe as you all know all right let's jump to uh let's jump to wide receivers Hayden a player that you were all on prior to the season even dating back to June when he was going as the wide receiver 48 you had him ranked as the wide receiver 38 and boy is he making you look smart someone had to Mike Williams Wide receiver one, fantasy usage. Wide receiver five in terms of fantasy points per game at the position. We know Joe Lombardi came from New Orleans, spoke about it. Coach speak, we can believe in that they were going to use Mike Williams differently. Hayden, that's been the case. Lay it out for us. Yeah, this is a, a pretty easy one. His target's gone, gone from six to 11 this year. And I'm going to pull up this chart real quick. Um in, in a second, when you start talking, his dot has completely changed. He was like at 14, 15 yards. And right now he's getting like slants. He's getting quick outs. He's getting bubble screens, like that type of stuff you never saw 
with Philip Rivers or Justin Herbert last year, and you're seeing like a true X receiver uh, with skills and red zone talent just absolutely taking off. I think at worst right now, he's going to be an RB2 or a wide receiver two this year. And there's still top 10 potential because it's a very narrow t- a target tree. Uh, they're, they're not using their third receiver much. And Justin Herbert looks awesome. They're playing with pace. They're playing with neutral pass rate. And Mike Williams is getting some red zone targets that he can, he could have been having like another two touchdowns here. Like th- we haven't even seen like the best, best, best peak Mike Williams. I think that he's like a borderline, like top 12 guy right now. Yeah, I just want to take a moment to talk about why we should have seen this coming, because I think that's important, Hayden, especially when we look towards next year as well. Like Tyler Boyd was being drafted as the wide receiver 32, who is like, you know, a low ceiling slot player on an offense that was run by Zach Taylor and offensive line questions and a quarterback coming back from, you know, major knee issues. Meanwhile, Mike Williams, as we were being told and talent on paper, was easily the number two on his team, whereas the number one, who's going to get his no matter what, is a slot player. The best in the NFL, arguably, but a slot player. So really, Mike Williams was the number one outside player, and yet Hayden, he was being drafted behind a lot of number three wide receivers or number two wide receivers, and here we are. It was it was an easy, I think, equation to see. You were on it super early on, and I just don't think that this is slowing down at all. In fact, if you're building your lineup each and every week, Mike Williams should be one of the first names you you click into it. For sure. It's just like Justin Herbert's good. Mike Mike Williams, we've seen it in, in flashes. He's good. There's not a wide receiver three. Like this equation was like way, 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 way too easy. So like I don't even want any credit for this. This was like this made this made too much sense. This was this was an easy one. And you're right. There are a few like contested catches, which he is known for. It's patented for that he still hasn't brought down yet. So the ceiling might still uh be unlocked a little bit, or at least reach it in a different way. Let's talk about the Rams, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Uh, They are drastically different spots on this list. Cooper Cup is the wide receiver three in fantasy usage and wide receiver one as we sit here right now in fantasy points. Robert Woods all the way down at wide receiver 22 usage, wide receiver 38 in fantasy points. We talked about it. This offense has been opened up more because of Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. The player that is benefiting the most is Cooper Cup, even though that these two players were drafted kind of neck and neck all fantasy draft season long. Do you have a reason why Cooper Cup would be dominating over Robert Woods? Like that's like what I keep going back to. Right now, Cooper Cup has a 38% target share. We've seen these guys be right next to each other forever. There's not a reason to me at least that why Robert Woods would all of a sudden just be like left in the dust here. So I, I think that right now I'm going to be ranking both Cooper Cup and Robert Woods still very highly. The offense just looks totally different. Like you're just seeing what like McVay's dialing up, like some of these bootleg stuff, like Jared Goff just like flick it for three yards right now. Like you're getting Matthew Stafford ripping the ball downfield and that it's been Cooper cup to start, but like there's no reason for me at least that that can't be Robert Woods coming across on these like deep crossing routes. So uh, I'm still very, very bullish on Robert Woods. I'm not like concerned that Cooper cups dominating right now. I think part of it is just how Cooper cup is being used. He's always kind of been, and this might surprise people like a pseudo tight end in a lot of ways. Like I know he's always in a two point stance, but pay attention when you watch the Rams, how he's like in a two point stance, really close and attached basically to the offensive tackle and how he's, you know, at times leaving in for blocking systems and sealing off the backside defender. But then Hayden, because he's running far more slot snaps 
then Robert Woods. I mean, I think Woods has something like uh, 35 on the season, and I'm trying to count up right now. Cooper Cup has 68 slot snaps. And so what you've seen in his successful plays, a lot of them are getting isolation with safeties or with cornerbacks one-on-one down the field, and he's taking those for touchdowns or getting them in the end zone. And we know maybe in comparison to Jared Goff previously – Matthew Stafford is willing to hit those tight window throws. He's willing to give you those chances in those areas and much more willing to extend the A dots of both of those players. I'm with you. I don't expect Cooper Cup to finish as this year's wide receiver one, maybe even as a wide receiver five. But I also, on the same exact sentence and same exact breath, I'll say that I don't expect Robert Woods to finish as the wide receiver 33, much closer to maybe the wide receiver 24, wide receiver 20. So I think there's going to be some positive improvements from Robert Woods as we go along. Cooper Cup's not going to have a 38% target share this year. And Robert Woods, it's a two-week two sample. And I think that what you're getting, like Cooper Cup dominating and Robert Woods still being like a wide receiver three, that's good news to me. Like you see that there's definitely potential here for Robert Woods. Like, I don't know, man. Like this just seems like a very easy, just hold on to Robert Woods. Don't panic. He can be like the wide receiver two overall next week. And that would not surprise any of us, the Rams offense is sick and Robert Woods is still good. And this is an offense that isn't going anywhere, you know, in terms of dipping down, it's, it's just going to stay exactly how it is all season long. And so why not get a cheap piece of that in Robert Woods? Now, if I really wanted to nitpick here, Hayden, I would say that Cooper cup just looks more dynamic with the ball in his hands, looks more athletic right now with the ball in his hands. than Robert Woods, who looks a bit stiff to me, but that's just Ooh, my eyes. And we all don't. we all we all see it a little bit differently. We all okay. see it a little bit uh, Cooper Cup looks like he's on steroids. Like he looks completely <laughs> jacked and he's like running downhill. He, I've never seen Cooper Cup look this built. It's crazy. Me either. He's 28. Age model? 28. All right. Let's jump now to the Jaguars number one wide receiver. His name is Marvin Jones. While you had Mike Williams all offseason, Hayden. I had Marvin Jones. Look at us, all of you who like and subscribe, all of you who watch the Underdog Football Show, support us along the way, drafted both of these players. Wide receiver six, fantasy usage from Marvin Jones. Wide receiver 15 overall so far, which Hayden, potentially on the worst team in the NFL right now, that's a really solid standing that we're at with Marvin Jones, again, despite being on an awful, awful organization. Right now, it's just Marvin Jones and DJ Shark running downfield like wild men and just Trevor Lawrence just like locking onto him. The Jaguars are leading the NFL right now in air yards. Marvin Jones is third himself uh, at the position. He's leading Jacksonville in red zone targets. He actually has 100% of those. And I just think that Marvin Jones, to me, looks like the best uh, Jaguars wide receiver. And this is just an offense where he's kind of like reminiscent of like those Phillip Rivers days where it's just like, Yep, we're going to send this thing downfield. We don't care what the environment is. We don't care what the scoreboard is. We're just going to let it rip. And I think that Marvin Jones is going to be pretty high in fantasy usage. Definitely going to be a lot of prairie yards. He's not going to keep up with my model. But I think that it's time to like readjust. He's like a wide receiver three with upside, right? Because this offense is already defined because they're going to be in so many negative game scripts all the time because their defense absolutely sucks. And in those scenarios, we've touched on it, that Trevor Lawrence has that DNA strand of Philip Rivers, that he does not care about interceptions. It's not Gardner Minshew out there who was dinking and dunking it and like being afraid to make mistakes. Trevor Lawrence has his eyes on Marvin Jones. And in fact, Hayden, a lot of times when they're rolling him out, their isolated route on that side is yep. to Marvin Jones or DJ Chark 
on the backside of the formation. Now we have to bring up, because since Marvin Jones was drafted as the distant third wide receiver on the team as wide receiver 51, this guy, LaVisca Chenault, was being drafted as wide receiver 31. And a lot of you likely drafted him because he's a favorite of this football bubble that we call our habitat. Well, LaVisca Chenault right now, in comparison to what we just talked about, Marvin Jones has an eight out of 4.7 through two games. That's bottom eight in the NFL. He's a slot wide receiver. That is clearly the role that the Jaguars have for him. That's with Adam Humphreys and Danny Amendola and Rondell Moore and Juju Smith-Schuster, Jalen Waddle, Cole Beasley. He's surrounded by these types. And so what I just said, the equation of them being behind on the scoreboard and then when they're behind, they unleash downfield throws. I don't see, unless something changes with Visca and where he's operating and existing in offenses right now, Hayden, for him to really make a dent in people's starting lineups right now. This goes for every single slot receiver. If you're not playing in two wide receiver sets, you're losing out on a couple things. You're losing out on potential red zone looks because a lot of times they use two tight ends in the red zone. You're losing the, the yards per route run boost when you, when you have it in just two wide receiver sets. And you're losing the A dot and the average depth of target, which is downfield targets are worth more in fantasy than ones underneath. So for someone like LaVisca Chenault to be fantasy relevant, they have to be really, really good at the game because almost all of their production is going to come after the catch. And they're not going to have as many touchdowns as LaVisca or as Marvin Jones and DJ Shark because in 12 personnel down the red area, those are going to be the two guys on the field. So it's just going to be very tough for LaVisca to even like earn like wide receiver three numbers just because of his role. Right. This got a third and three drop and then he left with an injury. Some might say that Travis Etienne would be playing over him right now if Travis Etienne was on the field. Like that that juice that Urban Meyer has been searching for, it just seems like they don't believe Visca has it. And then they just believe in DJ Chark and Marvin Jones as intermediate and downfield players over him. Something can change. It's a very long season. But right now, that ordering was totally off in fantasy drafts. Uh, let's jump to Indianapolis Colts, Hayden. Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman. A down first week, a really solid second week. And I, I watched both games because I was really interested in Michael Pittman. I think it was against the Seahawks in, in week one. And then we got very little. And that offense was just abysmal. But then in week two, even from I think it was like the first snap, Carson Wentz had eyes for him, that he was he was targeting him almost immediately. And Michael Pittman made good because he has some X receiver traits. I have a burner account on Twitter called Winks Tape. Go follow that. I posted all of Michael Pittman's uh, targets from last week. He just ate against zone coverage, and that's kind of promising for Michael Pittman because last year he was pretty good against man coverage because he's like so athletic and just like physically dominant, but he struggled against zone coverage. So I wonder if this is just the game kind of slowing down for him in the second season. But either way, he's a, he's an every-down player. To me, he's just way better than Zach Pascal as a route runner and in, in the red area. And I think that Michael Pittman finally got that big game that we were searching for. His yards per out run was bad as a rookie, but he was playing through a very, very serious calf injury that needed surgery. And I think right now we're going to get a pretty big week for Michael Pittman. The unfortunate thing is Carson Wentz sprained his, both of his ankles. So like it's Jacob Eason time, most likely, and that's uh, not very good. And Carson Wentz is going to be hit or miss no matter what on a weekly basis. But if anyone – is bankable in this passing attack. Michael Pittman is it. So he's not, you know, the worst idea to have when you enter games on Sundays and Mondays. Uh, I skipped over Sterling Shepard, who's been a extremely pleasant surprise here early on this season. Hayden, uh, wide receiver, nine fantasy usage, wide receiver, 13 overall. This is a slot receiver that we absolutely love. And 
Sometimes, Hayden, you just have to spend, you know, $15 million per year guaranteed so you can put your best wide receiver in the slot. And that's what we got with the Giants with Sterling Shepard. Yes, but Sterling Shepard's also the the second wide receiver in two wide receiver sets as well. Um, and he's just dominating in targets. And I think that if you're watching the games, you're seeing Kenny G struggle and Sterling Shepard look pretty good. And uh, going back to one of our past episodes with Matt Harmon, he talked about Sterling Shepard was like the only player that had like an X percentile that has not had like a top 25 like wide receiver uh, year. And Sterling Shepard to me looks like the better player than Kenny Galladay. Now I will say with Kenny G, he is one of the least efficient players right now, but he does have wide receiver 20 fantasy usage. So bigger days are coming for Kenny Galladay just because the, the Daniel Jones is kind of letting it rip right now. But for, for now it's Sterling Shepard over Kenny G in, in my rankings. I thought you were just about to say because science, because science. I mean, that's one of the biggest gaps that we get right now on this chart of wide receiver 20 fantasy usage and wide receiver 63 in overall points. And whenever you can shout at your offensive coordinator on the sideline, always go for it. Always go for for it. Uh, Let's go to DJ Moore. DJ Moore is a player that I loved who's being drafted around wide receiver 20. I think I had him at wide receiver 13 at the end of the season. And Hayden, he's right around there right now, wide receiver 18 in fantasy points with wide receiver 26 usage. Now, if you do a little bit of math, there's about an eight-spot difference there. And I think part of it for the Panthers is they've been in control through two games. Yep. You know? this, this isn't a team that's really had much neutral pace and definitely not negative pace and negative situations, right? So we haven't had to see them completely unload in the passing game, you know, throw seven, eight, nine straight times. And if we did, he would most likely be much higher up on this list among other names that have been forced into really bad situations with their offense because of many things that went on during those contests. Two things, in my opinion, you just nailed both of them. His role has changed. He had a 13.2 A dot last year, kind of like the vertical guy in the offense. That's kind of dropped down to 9.4 through two weeks. And if you look at the game, it's a lot of quick outs, some screens, shallow drags he's sitting in zone in the middle of the field they're just dumping the ball off to him he seems like the focal point of the passing attack that puts robbie anderson as the outside guy almost only winning downfield right now but i'm totally with you like he looks really good and the panthers haven't even had to use him like crazy because the game's just been in, in total uh like in their control so to me dj Moore, he's been the wide receiver 18 i would not be too surprised if he finishes close to that wide receiver 12 number he looks awesome to me more like fully developed last year. I thought he was really athletic. If he's going to be winning underneath like this, like this is like where you have those wide receiver one seasons. Panthers had major struggles in the red zone last year. Let's focus on this past weekend. They ran basically an ISA route for DJ Moore, who stumbled out of his break and didn't get it. So that's basically one target. And then he made it on his second target on that. I think little inside slant route. Yes. And was able to bring it in. DJ Moore is the one who's ascending in, in this team. And again, I can't reiterate the point enough that this team just hasn't had to throw as consistently as others across the league who other teams are abandoning the run. The Panthers don't have to do that. I mean, and they're not going to do that probably against the Houston Texans on Thursday night football. Then we have a fun game against the Dallas Cowboys as well. So maybe we get, you know, match for match throws between Dak Prescott and Sam Darnold. That could be, that could be a lot of fun. Hey, there's a question in the chat asking, are we worried about Robbie Anderson? I think the short answer would be kind of yes, but I think that it's still going to be fine because like you said, we haven't seen negative game script Panthers and Robbie Anderson's still very good at the game. He has some chemistry with Sam Darnold, but 
the role change to me, I think it's going to yeah. be kind of permanent. Like I was watching, like just looking for the routes that he's not even being targeted on. And it's still a lot of just deep routes. So I think yeah. he's going to be a volatile player. I think that if I was going to guess where he finishes this year, like the wide receiver 30 overall, which is not great where you're drafting him, but it's just going to be kind of hard to pick those spots where he has a spike yeah. weeks. Yeah, we're, we're not fully back on the high-variance Robbie Anderson spike week player that he was with the Jets because I think the Panthers are just a better team, but it is slightly different. I mean, last year he had a career low in ADOT, which was good, a career high in yards of the catch. He was using the slot much more often. Where the Panthers are at right now, it's Terrace Marshall's playing like a big slot role, it, it, it feels like, and being the short to intermediate player. And Robbie Anderson, and when they you know traded for Sam Darnold, they – hated that Teddy wasn't throwing down the field, which is pretty amazing based on what Teddy's doing now in terms of air yards. Um, but Robbie has that best chemistry. But I, I, if there's a game with a really high total or with the Panthers, you know, as underdogs, those could be potential Robbie Anderson games when he gets six, seven targets. And I still believe in the talent. And they obviously do. They just gave him a big contract. Yeah, he, so. he's still he's still making plays downfield right now too. So he, he's still playing well for just going to be a different role. That's Let's all. talk about Teddy Bridgewater and uh, maybe most importantly, Cortland Sutton. Um, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton were being drafted very similarly during pre-draft. What a weird training camp for Cortland. It felt like it was forever that he didn't believe in his knee, so on and so forth. And now we get to a point when arguably their number one wide receiver and Jerry Judy goes down in week one. And then Hayden against the best matchup imaginable, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cortland Sutton goes out there and has like 150 yards and a touchdown and looks like his old self. And he's leading the NFL in air yards right now. And there was a play in particular. He was isolated on the top of the screen and he ran a slot, a slant route. And it was kind of underneath or a curl. I forget which one it was. It was kind of underneath him. He had to like make a diving play and he came up with it and it was not a pretty ball. And then there was a couple other plays where he's just sprinting by guys uh, on the perimeter way down the field. So um, to me, Corlin Sutton looked fully back. That was awesome. He's probably going to be a whiff for me in fantasy. Um, I was a little bit lower on him, but the Jerry, the Jerry Judy um, injury for sure is helping Corlin Sutton. His target share spiked this week without him. A few things. Broncos are shockingly fun. And at the point of that, it's Teddy Bridgewater. Um, the offensive line is giving Teddy time. And more often than not, he's making like these sweet touch throws down the field and like all areas of the field. Um, that's unexpected. He's throwing downfield a lot more. And then when they're not giving him time, he's like buying it for himself with these little shifty movements and like becoming a playmaker before our eyes. Again, I'll repeat it. The Broncos are low key fun right now. Now in the grand scheme of things, when I'm putting that offense next to you, I don't know the chargers, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the chiefs. Do I think that this sustains? No, like we, we, we have a lot of history here with this. And Hayden, maybe this isn't fair. And if you've watched this game, tell me if I'm off my rocker. Corton Sutton didn't like pop out on the screen this past week in terms of like, oh, I am an alpha Julio Jones, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. I know a lot of those players are struggling right now, but you, you get what I'm saying of I'm creating incredible separation. I'm catching the ball. I'm shrugging. I'm like breaking this tackle. What he did really well was content, like catch contested passes. I'm yeah. like perfectly placed throws. So yeah. is he like with Jerry Judy out in your lineup? Yes. But do I expect like back to peak Cortland Sutton time? I'm not quite there yet, but he can convince me as we go along. 
a lot of the, his production was definitely on contested catches, but I thought he showed enough to be pretty confident in him. I, I wouldn't be that concerned about that ACL stuff that was going on earlier uh, in the in training camp. I, I would view him as like an upside wide receiver three. I'm with you, though. The Broncos, that roster, we knew it coming into the year, is loaded. And their defense is playing super smart, very well coached up in Denver, and they got some some serious talent all across the field. So I, I think the Broncos are like semi-legit, like playoff legit, not like contending legit. Um, but that's all you can ask for right now for Denver. They're fun. Let's enjoy it while they're fun. Uh, let's jump on over to Devontae Smith. Um, Devontae Smith, rookie, first round pick, attached to the Philadelphia Eagles, Hayden, uh, which have been up and down through two games. Obviously, they dominated the Philadelphia Eagles in the first week. Um, and then Hayden, what we have seen from them, I'm not going to say that this offense has like been figured out in a way, but I do want to bring this up with Jalen Hurts and his passing chart. Because in week one, what we saw was a lot of throws to the right side of the formation. When he was feeling pressure, he would climb up and hit short passes. There's nothing in the middle of the field for Jalen Hurts through two games. This game has to expand from him, from Nick Sirianni, or else this is just going to stagnate a little bit offensively for the Eagles, and it's all going to be running base. It didn't look pretty to me. I watched the game. Jalen Hurd had a 91-yard uh, pitch and catch to Quez Watkins. On a, he, he still throws with touch, in my opinion. It's just like the anticipation. Like You can just tell. And like I think that this, these charts do a pretty good job of showing he's never thrown the ball over the middle, which is kind of interesting. A lot of it is just, like, just a slant to Devonta Smith, a go route to Devonta Smith. So I think for, for me, uh, Dallas Goddard's dropped out of like the top 10 for tight ends. Same with Zach Ertz. And... Jalen Rager's not cutting it, like can't stay in bounds, like still a lot of nonsense from the other guys. To me, it's just Devonta Smith, who has a 48% air yard share. And I think that he's going to be the alpha and the passing game is just going to be really bad. Right. So while I stressed, and you're not on the same page, concern overall for where the Eagles offense is at the moment, I still believe that there's going to be a breakout game and maybe even soon this week against the Dallas Cowboys for Devonta Smith, because your point is important. Is Jalen Rager going to line up one-on-one and beat his man? No. Yeah. Is Quez Watkins going to do that one-on-one? No. Devontae Smith is the one who is already doing this. And Hayden, it was it was kind of close last week to happening. Just the 49ers backups to their backups balled out at the catch yep. point and like competed like hell to knock down a bunch of passes. I'm, I'm not here to write off the Eagles offense at all. And in fact, I'm I still am. really, really hyped up about Devonte Smith. Um, it's just not one that I, I know exactly who, I mean, who they want to be. I, I don't know if we can get there. It, it's the running game is great. And like Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell and Jalen Hurts, it's a fun combination. They just have to like take it up a notch or two to be viable as like a unit that we can trust to move the ball week in and week out. I think Devonta Smith is going to be a, a upside flex. We'll see what his uh, target share at the end of the year looks like. I'm, I'm anticipating it to be pretty high. But I think that we know what Jalen Hurts is. Um, he's a fantasy starter. He is one of the best scramblers, awesome leader, all that stuff. I'm just not sure if the in-pocket stuff is going to be good enough long-term. Yeah, 64% of Jalen Hurts' passes through two weeks that have traveled beyond the line of scrimmage to the right side of the field. Uh, shocking. Okay, let's keep going. Major... Major name that hey now I'm getting texts about from people I help draft, getting a lot of questions about on Twitter.com. Ron Dale Moore, 
Hayden, the Cardinals have thrown the ball 76% of the time in close situations this year. They rank eighth in time of possession on top of that. Rondell Moore is your wide receiver 19 right now in terms of fantasy points, but on wide receiver 54 usage. We talked about the high variance nature of his game, but Hayden, put a little more context to it. Right now, the Cardinals are using some four wide receiver sets, but not a ton. And Rondell Moore is the number four wide receiver in those. Now, whenever he's on the field, they throw the ball to him immediately. Like it's bubble screens. It's every type of little screen, a slant route, a quick out. Um, they were in like this like scramble drill where it was Rondell Moore by himself. So he's clearly a focal point of the offense. He's just only running a route on 48% of the dropbacks. So something's got to give. I don't know if this means like DeAndre Hopkins, who's getting extremely lucky right now with a bunch of touchdowns and his target share and all those other stats are way down. If he's not going to be a top five receiver and he's going to be more like the wide receiver 12 or Christian Kirk's going to get benched or AJ Green's going to get benched. But like right now you have four guys who are all being productive and there's basically three spots in an NFL offense. So I don't know what to do with any of this. But right now, Rondell Moore is not even running around on 50% of the dropbacks. So I don't, I don't know if we're supposed to, uh, supposed to start him or not. And possibly attached to the greatest quarterback season of all time and what Kyler Murray might, might be putting up this year. This is another fun conversation to have because forever we've talked about routes. We've talked about opportunities and how that is the most projectable week in and week out. And you outlined his role incredibly well. Um, he has three targets beyond 10 yards down the field, Hayden, 10 less than 10 yards and seven behind the line of scrimmage so far in two games. He has that like Larry Fitzgerald role, but on steroids <laughs> because he is electric. I mean, he is so good with the ball in his hands that that's what we have to rely on week in and week out for his production is him creating after the catch. Now, I think a lot of people are freaking out and wondering like, oh, and I understand it when you get in this mindset, you see, I don't know, 20 something points on your bench and attached to Kyler Murray in Arizona and like, oh, he's the opposite receiver next to DeAndre Hopkins. It's not that clear cut to me. And hey, I actually want to bring up, oh, that page doesn't exist anymore. A play with Kyler Murray when the touchdown that Rondale had at 77 yards, it wasn't a Rondale Moore play. It oh, was yeah, a, it was Kyler. It, it was a Kyler Murray play who was able to spin in the pocket away from Donnell Hunter, who's one of the freakiest athletes in the NFL, outrun him, see that Rondell was wide open on a, not a route, it wasn't a route, and then catch it and then run down the sideline and go untouched. That is not something that we think can be repeatable week in and week out. But at the same time, me saying that, Rondell Moore is a type of talent, Hayden, that will do things each and every week that is also not repeatable by typical standards. You know what I'm getting at here? De definitely. It's just like, it's, it's impossible. Cause I like right now, if it was, if I was just a total nerd and I was looking at my spreadsheets, he's the biggest no brainer sell high I've ever seen, but you see it and you're like, okay, like I, I I'm not going to sell Rondale more. Like I'm not watching these games and watching him go crazy. I will say there's a couple instances that really helped out Rondale more specifically the two minute drill. He, there was a couple plays back to back plays where it just dump off, dump off to Rondale more. And it's like, let him go. And that's cool, but also kind of inflate some of these things that we can't really bank on. Like uh, they're basically playing prevent now on that play. Rondo Moore with like six seconds left breaks about four or five tackles, gets right. up field, and then gets out of bound with one second left so they can kick the sixty-two yarder. It was a fantastic play, one of the best plays of the entire weekend. Now that's just like not repeatable that often. So if you're gonna, if somebody in your league really wants Rondo Moore is willing to give you like 
Chase Claypool or like Julio Jones or something like that, I would do that all like no brainer. But I think that Rondell Moore eventually is going to get on the field more than he is right now. I just don't know who's coming off of it. Yeah. He's so much fun. I know. I, that's why I'm not calling him a sell high because he's too much fun. But like my brain is telling me, yes, my heart, my heart refuses. And there's also like part of the conversation of, well, what if his role grows as the season goes along? Like what if he gets more comfortable? Will. What if they like, you know, start throwing legit intermediate and downfield routes to him as well? Because, you know, defenses, if he starts continuing to make plays with the ball in his hands, close to the line of scrimmage, you fake that, you go down the field, you know, like these are all in the realm of possibility too. So, uh, I would enjoy the Rondale roller coaster that we're on right now because it's uh it it might be at its peak, but it might still be on the incline. Let's put it that way. Yeah, good analogy. All right, two more names at wide receiver. Well, maybe one more. Marquez Callaway. Uh, I know all of you are wondering why we're talking about him uh, because there's not much to talk about here. Hayden, dominant week one for the Saints, didn't throw to him. Complete negative game script in week two, didn't throw to him. I think a lot of people projected Marcus Callaway based on usage in preseason games, his core with Jameis Winston, Michael Thomas being out that Sean Payton has always had like this go-to player at wide receiver. And maybe it was going to be Marcus Callaway. It's clearly not that. And Marcus Callaway should be nowhere near in consideration for you right now. He has ran around on 84% of dropbacks, Josh. Uh, I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't look good. Like even the Superdome was on fire today. Like nothing right now is working out for Marquez Callaway and the Saints offense. And they're second last, uh, second to last in fantasy usage to their wide receivers right now. Um, Marquez Callaway is going to have a couple of random big weeks, but like the talent and Jameis Winston, I mean, I, I, I watched Jameis Winston. He looked awful last yep. week too. So um, it's basically promo code Alvin and prayers for, for the Saints offense right now. So you're saying Marcus Callaway's running around a lot of routes. He's still wide receiver 87 <laughs> yeah, usage, which is good. targets. So he's basically out there just running wind sprints all day. Yeah. What what did Rich Rebark talk about like with Chris Hogan that he's just like, yeah, yeah, he's running some wind sprints? Oh, yeah. Chris Hogan has a touchdown in this offense and Marcus Callaway doesn't. <laughs> um anyways, we'll talk a lot more about Jameis Winston on the Thursday preview show because I have a lot to say about that offense. Anything on Brandon Ayuk? I mean, this is still the player Hayden who's not getting enough run in terms of his snap shares. And again, another offense I want to talk about on Thursday, it's Debo Samuel and it's the screen game. And that's it until this offense evolves. Brené is still a great player in my eyes, a great talent, but there's something going on in many facets of that offense from quarterback play to offensive line play to the play calling to the usage of Ayuk that it's not adding up. And uh, I'm a little terrified at the moment. Yeah, you're clearly not starting him for right. until he has a big game and his his routes go up and everything else. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm wondering if like a lot of those big plays from last year was just like him being an athlete and like the offense just like kind of going through him because there was no George Kittle and Debo Samuel. And right now, when you have two like really supreme players, that it's just like there's no like he's not standing out like like he was when it was just him out there. So I, I would be extremely concerned about Brandon Ayuk. I would not drop him. Um, but you're not starting him either. He's just like a bench hold, I guess. Everyone needs you in the chat. Like and subscribe down below. Yes, I'm talking to you, Michael, Yosemite, HV, Jack, all of you, PH, Carlo, Slim, Ray. Our whole goal, Tuesdays, Thursdays, two shows on Sundays, a pregame show and an instant reaction show at night. Join us here on the Underdog Football Show, and you can take us on the road with you. Just search whatever podcast platform 
for the underdog football show. All right. Quickly on tight ends. Hey, this is all about usage in a lot of ways. Um, we know the Lions so far are thriving in that garbage time. <laughs> they are thriving in the fourth quarter. And that has, even in, I would say, neutral situations, though, T.J. Hawkinson is a major factor for that. T.J. Hawkinson's just B-plus Darren Waller. Right now he's second in usage. I think that he, for, for me at least, even going into this week, He's ahead of George Kittle. Like right now, George Kittle's playing the Jeff Swain role and Darren and TJ Hawkinson's Darren Waller all of a sudden. So like to me, it's just like it's impossible for him to fail because the wide receivers for the Lions are just so bad that he's just gonna get the lion's share of targets and like just refresh the box score. You're gonna have nine targets, probably fifty-five yards and six catches, and maybe scores a touchdown, and then you 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 print. It's like he's gonna be a top three, top four guy, I'm pretty sure. Robert Gronkowski, the tight end two right now in fantasy points overall. The Bucks are immediately at the point where they'd rather throw the ball to Rob Gronkowski inside the five-yard line than, than, the, than run the ball right now. Yeah, and Gronk looks awesome. I mean... He looks great. He, he looks so good. Like, he's legitimately a top-five real-life tight end again. Uh, it's, yeah, he's... I think that he's... You can put him in the Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, Noah Fant, like, top six, top seven... Uh, fantasy options right now. Like I think that's like for sure happening. Just the offense is just way, way, way too good. We get questions on Sunday. Should I start Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Robert Gronkowski? The answer is yes to that entire passing game. Yeah. Uh, Brady is on the hunt for that single season touchdown passing record. Okay. Johnu Smith, Patriots, two tight ends, spent a bunch of money. Johnu was the one who's getting more and more of the manufactured touches and touches near the line of scrimmage. Definitely. Uh, Hunter Henry is playing the inline role. He's playing more snaps. He's actually even running more routes than Jonu Smith, but he's like the seam stretcher. He's going to be the red zone guy. He's going to be way more inconsistent. Jonu Smith, they'll wind him up in the backfield. They'll give him a carry, a little quick out. They'll give him a, a little bubble screen. He's getting all the manufactured work. So right now, they're both tight end twos just because the Patriots offense is pretty methodical and slowly moving. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens when they get into more red zone opportunities. I think both of them will be like tight end twos. And the Patriots are just this bully machine at the moment where they're not like being forced to throw the football a lot. Yeah. And part of it is Mac knows he like is playing within himself and doesn't have to really test on the field. It's so different than Trevor Lawrence. Like Trevor Lawrence is making oh, really yeah. difficult throws and then some really bad mistakes on those throws. And Mac isn't making or trying to make difficult throws, but he's also not trying to, you know, make mistakes either. So yeah, he needs Mac Jones needs to push the ball downfield. Like let's let's take the training wheels off and let's let's do this. Let's see what you got. Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, George Kittle. Anything on these names, Hayden? I mean, we have to talk about George Kittle. People draft him in the third round. Like he yep. in week one ran a route on like 16 of 28 dropbacks or something like that. He's tied in 25 in usage. I specifically watched the the 49ers through the lens of what the hell are they doing with George Kittle? And they're running a, so many screens. Like I think 20% of Jimmy G's uh, dropbacks right now are screens. And George Kittle is the, the blocker on those screens because he's the best blocking tight end in the league. Um, and a lot of the times, like in, in on first and second down, because they're running the ball so much, he's staying in the block. And if they do play action, at best, he's like chipping out and then going to the flats. So he's just like not like lining up in the slot and winning those routes, except on third downs. Now, I'm not going to go too crazy with George Kittle's ranking. I think that he's still a top five guy. But like the Darren Waller discussion, like – no, like, like that's not going to happen. I think that it, it could even get worse. I mean, not worse, but Trey Lance coming in and just being like a run first quarterback, that would not be good for his status either. I really want to save all my 49ers discourse for the Thursday preview. 
there's a lot to say. I even looked. I think he was staying in for pass protection on 10 snaps, George Kittle was. I mean, that that's where this offense is at at the moment. And that's yeah. uh that's a strength of his, you know, but that's not it's not doing anything unless you're really weird. It's Jeff Swain in your league. <laughs> um, all right. By the way, Slim. Yes, all of you need to get on pick them on underdog. I had an absolute blast. Rumor is one of us hit a pick five for 20x last weekend. Uh, it makes Sunday so much fun. Go and try pick them. It's either over or unders on a single player prop, or you can do rivals. So like, let's say the Monday night game. I believe this was Monday night. Longest completion, Aaron Rodgers versus Jared Goff. Goff is getting five and a half yards. And it's really, really fun. A really cool sweat throughout the whole game. Again, it's like 3X, 6X, 10X, and 20X. 20X is if you hit five. Use promo code the show. Deposit anything. Skip the guacamole. We'll give you 10 bucks for free out of Hayden Winks' pocket. Go and try pick them. Again, you'll have an absolute blast. Rumor has it that Quintess Seafest's long reception busted my pick them slips. Rumor has it. <laughs> That's why you do the rivals and not just the Jared yeah. Goff long completion over. Anyways, we'll be talking a lot more about that on the Sunday morning pregame show as well. Hopefully you join us for the game-by-game preview on Thursday. That's at 5.30 Eastern, and then Sunday we'll get started around 10 a.m. Eastern and go basically until kickoff. Thanks for being here, TJ. You, Siraj. You, Scampers, as always. Michael, appreciate all of you on the podcast feed as well. I don't say this enough. Like and subscribe. Rate and review. Those five stars really do help us out, and we're trying to grow. We're very, really close to 5K subscribers on YouTube, so thanks for thanks for getting us there. All right. For Hayden Winks, go and check out the fantasy usage model on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. I am Josh Norris. Up the villa, as always. See ya. See ya.